Welcome to the Young Money Podcast with Ross Moran. This episode of the Young Money Podcast is brought to you by More Time Financial, a financial planning, money management, and financial education business helping young Australians to make smarter decisions with their money. Welcome to episode 22 of the Young Money Podcast. I'm your host, Ross Moran. And on today's episode, we are talking about travel and finances. So you probably would have noticed if you are a long-time listener of the podcast, that we've had a few episodes about travel and it is a big passion of mine. So episode number 11, we talked about the benefits of traveling and I've had three or four different guests on the podcast talk about their experiences with traveling the world, some getting paid to travel the world in the case of Kyle Hunter and Elliot Tiger Lyons. And also had a few guests on talking about running a location independent business. So that was Kayleen Langford from Startup Creative and also Tara Lukey from Tara Lukey Legal, um, both running location independent businesses. Some of them live in Australia, others live overseas and just just depends um, where they decide to go. Obviously, having no borders with your business allows them the freedom to do that. On today's episode, I wanted to bring on a good friend of mine and also fellow financial planner, James Ridley. James works for a company called Atlas Wealth and they specialize in providing financial advice to Australian expats. It's quite a unique business and very specialized and very niche in their advice. Obviously, most financial planners, unfortunately, aren't allowed to provide or are limited in the advice they're allowed to provide to people living outside of Australia, unfortunately. But James and the team at Atlas Wealth have incredible amounts of knowledge when it comes to providing the right advice for people who are thinking about moving overseas. So, that's giving them the advice about what they need to put in place before they leave, um, providing advice to allow people to maximize their time while they are working and living overseas. And then most importantly, giving them guidance and advice about what needs to happen before they come home to Australia. So what you'll hear in this episode is a few horror stories of where people got it wrong and were too caught up with taking a nice photo while they're on holidays or while they're living overseas, enjoying the expat lifestyle and unfortunately not paying too much attention to their legal requirements or their tax requirements while they were overseas. So, James really dives deep into some of the things that people need to be aware of and what steps you need to take if you are deciding on living overseas or taking a job in another country. Really hope you enjoy the episode. James, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ross. Pleasure to be here. So, on today's episode, I really wanted to touch on your expertise, which is giving advice for people traveling overseas or people living and working overseas. So, in particular, Australian expats if I have that correct. Yes, yes, you do. So I suppose from our point of view, an expat is someone that does become a uh, non-resident for tax purposes, but we do cover uh, both areas where, where they say tax resident and resident. And it just, um, just depends on how long they're going over for. Yeah. So there's obviously thousands of Australians traveling over the world, packing up their bags. A lot of people have the dream of running a location independent business, working overseas, seeing obviously what the world has to offer. Just straight off the bat, what advice do you have for people who, who want to go and work overseas? Oh, if the opportunity, if they're given an opportunity to go overseas, um, I'd absolutely jump in it. Especially if you're heading to the US and you're in the, the tech industry, uh, the opportunities there are far and wide and usually your income level will go up quite quickly. Depending on what industry you are in as well, the UAE is quite favourable 
for Aussie expats just because it is tax-free zone. Yeah. As an example, recently spoke to a nurse who's heading over to the UAE. She's on the same income level here, but it's tax-free. So she's able to save pretty much all that tax uh, and put into something, you know, that's going to help accumulate a bit of wealth on the side. Yeah, excellent. So probably the first, first thing we want to cover off is what advice do you have for people before they leave? So assuming I've just got a job offer moving to, let's say, moving to the US and it's for... At this stage, it's the two-year period. I'm, I'm six months before I leave. What, do I, what advice do you have for me? Yeah, so, I mean, best thing to do, like, is six months. That's, you're giving yourself plenty of time, and I suppose, um, you know, the list can be quite great. But if you are going to go for two years, um, you know, it's, you know, checking whether you are going to be a non-resident for tax purposes, you know. You've got to satisfy those tests so you know you're going to be paying tax in two countries. Um, initially... Uh, the first test is, you know, where you're going to reside. Obviously, that's going to be the US. And then there are going to be three other tests that the uh, ATO looks at. You know, firstly, you're going to maintain a uh, permanent domicile here in Australia still. If you've got your main residence, you'll probably rent it out, just no issues. Secondly, you know, being out of the country for a period of greater than 183 days in the same financial year. And lastly, um, you know, are you cutting ties with all your main family? So if you meet families moving over, then you're going to be satisfying being a non-resident. Other things to look at is, you know, uh, putting your private health insurance on hold. Yeah. No point in paying that because you're not going to be using it while you're overseas. Reviewing what insurances you have uh, in your super and stuff because it's more than likely they're actually going to become invalid. Yeah. So you could pay a few thousand dollars for no reason. Um, Other things are, I suppose, just tidying up your affairs, you know, bank accounts, letting them know you're going to be a non-resident. Just all that, uh, I suppose, life administration that no one wants to do, yeah. but they do need to do it. So. And in your experience, do you see most people like getting on top of those things or it's not till they go overseas and then they're like, oh shit, I'm still paying for this or I wish I knew this or... Oh, you, you know, you're spot on. So I'd say the majority of our clients, they come to us probably after a year or two that they've already been over there yeah. and uh, in, in, even just silly things they've done with their tax. The majority of clients that we get uh, through our inquiries come through, yeah, about the 16, 18-month mark. And, you know, sometimes they've even lodged an Australian tax return and the tax account they use is one of those standard franchise accounts and they've declared them as a, uh, a normal resident for tax purposes. Yeah. So if they're over, as an example, if they're over in the UAE and they're on 200000 a year, they've just paid 45 to 47% tax because their account said, oh, no, you're still a normal tax resident, which isn't the case. It's ridiculous. <laughs> So, so they're, they're a non-tax resident. Non-tax resident, yeah. and they've just paid tax the ATO, but they didn't have to. So in those cases, you usually need an amended tax return, which, you know, there's no issues with doing because you can do them yeah. up to four previous financial years. But uh, majority of cases are people coming to us after they're already over there. Yeah. So um, better to clean things up before you go. Yeah. And if we looked at someone that maybe they're just planning on going for a 12-month gap year or, or something like that, which obviously a lot of people our age do, mm. is there anything that people need to be aware of um, from if they're only going for maybe a shorter period of time? Listen, if you're only going for a short period of time, it's more than likely you're still going to remain a tax resident. Yeah. And there's no issues with that. However, um, if you've only got a 12-month contract and you're going to come back, it just means you'll pay normal tax in the your new domicile. Um, and whatever you tax pay there, you'll declare that tax on your Australian tax return and you'll get a foreign tax credit. Obviously, if you're going to be over in the UAE, it kind of sucks because that's a tax-free location. Yeah. Um, so you'll be giving a bit, a bit of tax back to the ATO. Um, but if you're only going on a short period, there's not really an issue. Even your insurances, you probably would keep in place. 
private health, you'd probably just bite the bullet and still pay it because, yeah. yeah, I mean, you're still going to be a tax resident. Yeah, sure. Now, if we go down the track, I'm, li- I'm living overseas. Obviously, I'm paying the character of, of the, the person living overseas in this scenario. Yeah. I'm living overseas. What advice do you have for me to maximize my time while I'm over there? Yeah, so I suppose besides living the expat lifestyle, traveling a fair bit, you know, Especially when you get over to the UK, Europe, you're on a plane for an hour, you're in a new co- like location, new uh, time zone. Yeah. Besides living the expat lifestyle and traveling a bit and getting those experiences, I think it is important that you do try and save what you can and, and put a bit of money aside because you've got to remember you no longer have an employee paying any super for you. You know, nine nine and a half percent of your wages are going into some fund that you can access when you're retired. So sending money, some money back and investing it. Um, would be wise even if you're just doing some contributions into your super fund a lot of the time when you do go to those areas where you're in a tax favorable environment you can send money back and because you're a non-resident you actually do get some tax concessions for investing in uh, non-taxable Australian property like shares and managed funds and those sort of things um, the tax treatment of property isn't as favorable anymore because you lose a lot of concessions yeah but I think it is important that you do you know put some money aside, build up an emergency fund, but then also look to invest and send some money home as well. So yeah, if I've got hex debt and I'm living overseas, I know the rules have changed recently around how that works. So do you want to explain explain what we need to be aware of there? Yeah, so I suppose previously, you know, you could go overseas, work for quite a long time and uh, you wouldn't have to declare your worldwide income and therefore you could escape paying a hex, which was great. Yep. Um, but as of 1st of July 2017, uh, we now need to report our worldwide income each year. You know, you can either, you can do it online via MyGov. Um, and if you're over the threshold, which is just over 54000 Australian dollars a year, you do have to pay back, obviously, some of your hex. And I think it starts at about 4%, whatever your, um, your income level is, and then you slowly pay it down as the, or it tears up. The yeah. more you have to pay, the more your income goes up. But, yeah, there's no escaping our hex debts now, so... Doesn't matter where you are, but you need to declare your worldwide income and pay that uh, hex debt down. Yep. Okay. And setting up a bank account overseas, do you recommend once you arrive in the country setting up a, a local bank account or just using your, your Australian bank account? I think it depends on where you're going and how long you're going over for. One uh, type of bank account which has come out this year is with uh, a company called TransferWise. So they offer what's called a borderless account where it's linked to a MasterCard. Yeah, right. So you can hold um, up to 25 currencies in the one bank account. Yeah. It's registered in the US, the UK, Europe, Australia, and some places in Asia. So that's actually a really great solution for someone that's going to be a bit of a, a, a business nomad. Yeah. And you have a bank account and a, a BSB and account number in you know all these different countries, which is great. Um, you can even have your employer paying into it. So that's a really good solution, transfer-wise. Um, in terms of you know going over to other places like the UAE, uh, it's best to set up a bank account when you get there because they do require some form of verified ID and even a, a registered address. Yeah. And um, that's normal. But, you know, a solution before you get over there is either getting one of these borderless accounts set up with TransferWise or you could even uh, use, you know, if you've got a, a direct debit card with one of your banks, you know it's going to work overseas, even a, a credit card sometimes um, or, you know, the simple travel money cards that, you know, your banks usually have. The only thing I don't like about the travel money cards is the is the rates that you get on them. Yeah. Because you know, as an example, when my partner and I were uh, UK Europe uh, earlier in the year, uh, we did a lot of transfers as we well over there. We sort of transfer as we go, 
and I worked out how much we actually lost out on and it ended up being about $350. Jeez. I know, shocking. And you'd think I'd know better. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, at the time, we were just going as we go. But um, yeah, it just goes to show uh, even sometimes financial planners get it wrong. Yeah. Now, for, for anyone that's running a, a location-independent business, which is obviously becoming more and more popular, um, besides the tax resident, non-resident um, decision that they need to make, is there anything that you need to be aware of if you are running a business um, in different countries or running an online business? Yeah, it depends actually, you know, um, what kind of business you're running and if it's registered out of Australia as well. Um, so if you've got a company going that's registered here in Australia and you're the sole director, um, it's actually going to breach a rule called CMNC, which is Central Management Control. So if you're a non-resident and you're a director of a company, uh, it's going to breach CMNC because at all times, Central Management Control needs to be maintained by a normal Australian tax resident. Now, if you're going to be a bit of a nomad and uh, travel around and have a, a location independent business, uh, one great offering is actually out of Estonia called the e-residency. Um, now, a lot of uh, people, especially... If you want to, maybe before, before we jump into that, where is Estonia? Oh, great question. That's a great question. <laughs> a lot of the time I have to Google these things. <laughs> um, no, so up in Eastern Europe... Um, and especially, essentially, you can create an online business there. It's registered out there. You know, this is great if you're going to be a non-resident of Australia for tax purposes. Yeah. And you do all your income lodgements through there. I believe the rate is 20% tax, so favourable tax rate as well. Um, and as long as you're ticking all the boxes to be a non-resident of Australia, there's no issues with having that e-residency set up. And it essentially means you can go there, you can set up a bank account there. You just operate yeah. out of Estonia, but you're not actually located there. So I know a lot of... Um, I suppose uh, Instagram uh, businesses operate out there now because yeah. it's quite easy. Um, the only time you need to actually pick up any documentation is some, from some form of embassy somewhere. Um, you don't actually have to fly there and pick up the documentation. It's all online, which yeah. is really, really good. So, Interesting. yeah, I mean, one thing to be aware of, again, if you're going to operate a business out of Australia is whether you're going to satisfy those rules. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes it's better to cut ties and look elsewhere to run a business. Yeah. Yeah. And then probably the the next thing that I think a lot of people need to be aware of is when they're coming home. So you've had a good time, you've lived overseas for 12 months, two years, five years, whatever it is. Now you're saying, all right, it's ready to come home, maybe settle down and mm. um, and take things a bit easier back in the Australian lifestyle. What do we, what, what would I as a traveler need to be aware of? Yeah. So repatriation, I mean, it's a, it's a big one and it's something that a lot of people don't really think about. And I mean, you know, more than likely somewhere, wherever you've been working, you're going to have either a uh, end of service gratuity accruing, um, we're going to have a provident fund accruing if you're in the Asias, those sort of places, even 401ks at the US. You might have accumulated a bit of wealth through some shares and whatnot over there as well. Um, but things to be aware of is, first of all, when you come back, you know, have you been lodging your tax returns here in Australia as a non-resident? If you haven't, you need to get them up to date because it might cause a reason the ATO to look at you while you've been overseas. Yeah. Um, secondly, um, there are some strict rules around withdrawing foreign pensions mm. and bringing them back to Australia. And um, if I do have any advice on that, it would be make sure you do it within six months of returning. If you don't do it within six months, it means any growth since the period that you've been back in Australia, that's actually going to become taxable. Um, so you can put it into super. But the super fund's got to allow that contribution to go in and 
you do need to make sure that you stay within your contribution caps as well. Because I know there's a lot of issue for a lot of young people who go and live in London. Mm. They start working maybe only there for two years, which is pretty common with the, um, the visa we're allowed to get. Two years, they maybe have a, a UK pension from their employer that gets that's gets built up. Like what like what do we do with that? Like I know that the rules are pretty strict in terms of what oh, we can listen back. The, the UK pensions are a really tough one, and um, the rules changed in 2015 by the HMRC which is essentially the ATO for the UK side. But what they've done now is we can't actually transfer our pensions until we're 55 from the UK. So ridiculous. I mean, yeah. I mean, majority of the time people are going to forget about them. Yeah. Um, so in that event, you do need, and when you transfer, you actually need to transfer it into a super fund. And what's even more annoying is that super fund needs to be a, a registered overseas pension or a QROPS, so a qualifying registered overseas pension scheme. And majority of the time, you can actually only do it in a self-managed super fund as well. There are probably about three or four uh, normal retail super funds which yeah. allow it, but it's really hard to find them. Yeah. Um, so unfortunately, UK pensions, they are, I suppose, landlocked there until you reach 55, and that's when you can start doing some planning around how you're going to bring it over. Do you find the people that you talk to, like, are they aware that they have a UK pension? Like. Listen, we, um, a case example, actually, we did a, we wrote a consultation paper for a class action for a UK pension against the financial plan over there, um, probably about six months ago. Um, and this person two years before didn't know they had a UK pension. There was 250,000 pounds in this pension accumulating. She wasn't aware of it. And then she received a call by this financial planner, um, or so-called financial planner, I'd more of call him a bit of a sales consultant. And then she did some research and she did. She had a UK pension from IBM. And uh, essentially, she'd come back to Australia for 15 years, completely forgot about it. And now it's pretty much going to set up her retirement. So, um, yeah, more than, more, very common that people yeah. forget about it. Both from the US side, 401ks, that's a tough one because you can withdraw them early, but you do get hit with a 10% penalty tax yeah. on top of whatever your marginal tax rate is at the time. So it's a tough one for 401ks because usually you'll have an employer matching scheme. And what you find is, yep, you'll put in half whatever, the same amount of what they're putting in. But when you withdraw it, it pretty, pretty much negates anything you've put in yeah. because they're charging the close fees, to yeah. you know, 40, 50% when you take it out, which, yeah. which sucks. But um, I suppose that's just the legislation. So anything else we need to be aware of um, coming home? We've ticked off a few things, but any other bits uh, of advice? I suppose you need to make sure you wrap up things on you know your current domicile, um, lodging your last tax return there, keeping them happy. Definitely keep the IRS happy. Yeah, probably the worst tax authority in the world, and they'll come after you. That's that's the US, isn't it? Yeah, IRS, yeah. It, it is. Yeah, so uh, Internal Revenue Service, um, United States, but probably yeah, like I said, the worst taxation authority out there. Um, oh, they'll get you. They'll get you. Um, but essentially, wrapping up things on your your previous domicile so you can repatriate comfortably transferring your pension funds or whatever assets you have in cash do it while you're a non-resident um, because it just means it doesn't get looked at by the ATO um, because you've crystallized that period that you've been a non-resident and they know that any wealth that's been accumulated whilst you've been abroad isn't attributed to Australia at all so that doesn't it means you know they're not going to charge any entry or exit tax when you bring it over a lot of people do get scared that when they're transferring money back to Australia yeah. in Australian bank account there's going to be some sort of entry tax or the ATO is going to look at them. But 
ATO is not like that. They're not out to scare you or anything like that. You just obviously there are the odd nightmare cases, but you know usually the circumstances are very different to just you know your average John or Jane. Yeah. Well, we might come to a few horror stories in a second, but mm. I think that's probably the biggest area that I've seen from some friends that either maybe go and work on the boats, travel around Europe, have a large sum of money they've acquired, or yeah, UAE is a big one as well. So I had a few engineering and mining friends have gone worked in the UAE, earn all this money, and then they're shit scared about bringing the money back. They're saying, well, do I have to transfer it in bits and pieces? Like, what? And yeah, I think exactly that. Yeah, said. and sometimes you do hear some horror stories, and I'll tell you one right now. Yeah. And it's probably one that was very public. Um, so there was an aircraft engineer that was based over in Bahrain um, or in Saudi Arabia. What happened was he essentially he had cut ties with Australia back in 2011. So... He was over there from 2009, um, and in 2011, he received a notice from the ATO saying, you've declared your income incorrectly for your 2011 financial year. Now, he'd cut ties. They were, um, you know, he'd sold all his personal effects. The only thing or the only thing tying him to Australia at the time for 2011 was his family, his kids and his wife, which he, the ATO he, will he couldn't. Up. He couldn't get rid of them. Couldn't get rid of them. <laughs> couldn't cut them. Um, but that did come later. I'll tell you more. <laughs> So essentially at the time, uh, he was living in just a normal, I suppose, service department building, but he could pack his bags within an hour and move to another unit. And that's one of the key things that the ATO looked at. Okay. At the time also, the wife and kids did intend on coming over and living with him, and they were searching at places to buy permanently to live. So the ATO treated his apartment, service department, as temporary, uh, I suppose, accommodation show so the test they looked at was domicile. He actually hadn't established a permanent domicile or a permanent place of residence over there. Yeah. So they thought, okay, yes, he resides over there, but he's not technically domiciled over there because he doesn't establish a main residence. He didn't have any you know, gym memberships to any of the local areas, didn't have any memberships at all. He was just sort of, I can pick everything up and go. Yeah. In that financial year, his income was 230000 tax-free Australian dollars. So because the ATO, they won, um, he didn't, satisfy all the income to all the residency tests for that financial year you know he ended up paying 45 47 percent of that back to the ato just for that one income year just because that's the uh, year they actually looked at later he was still he is still working over there now uh working out of uh, saudi and the ato is not looking at him anymore because in fact him and his wife actually did split up unfortunately and uh they're still living in the house that he joint owns but it's not his permanent residence anymore at all he's actually bought a place so uh, all on paper now, he is a non-resident for yeah. tax purposes, but the ATO looked at him and he had to pay 47% of his income back. So just for that one income year, but yeah. as you can imagine, a lot of money um, going back to the ATO, even though he'd been over there since 2009. Jesus. So that's a horror story. Um, and I mean, it's it's always down to tax when it comes to the horror stories. Another one, which is a bit closer to home, is a, a client that came on and they were using just a normal uh, franchise accountant again. Um, and they were, I suppose, erring on the side of caution. They'd been over in Saudi Arabia for two years. Uh, no, sorry, not Saudi Arabia, um, Dubai, UAE, for two years. Had been earning a, a really good income. And uh, the account was saying, yep, you're still a normal tax resident. He actually didn't. He was single at the time. Uh, didn't have a main residence or any property back here in Australia. There was no one paying into his super. And he had only come back to Australia once for a week. Yep that whole two years so he did satisfy the test to be a non-resident um, but it paid a lot of tax to the ATO in those years and then 
we uh, did a consult with him. So listen, you, you do satisfy all the tests to be a non-resident, so you're going to have to do some amended tax returns, which he did, and he ended up getting all the money back just because... Based he, on, your, on your advice or your assistance? Uh, based on our assistance and through our third-party accountant. Yeah. Um, and um, to this day, he's still living over there. He's on a great income. He's, he, he's met someone over there. So he's probably going to stay over there for the next five, ten years. He doesn't know when he's coming home. And just... To, to round that story out, any idea what that figure was in terms of what you got back? In terms of tax? Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, close to 90000 So just goes to show the ATO, you know, they're, they're not hunting for you. They're just, you know, as long as you, you're meeting the criteria and it's clear, yeah. um, then there's no issues. Sometimes clients will request a, a private ruling just to confirm they are a non-resident. We had an inquiry that gets a private ruling every year from the ATO just to... I suppose concrete his yeah. uh, non-residency status because he actually has accumulated a fair bit of wealth overseas. That's an extreme case, and that's mm. someone that's very meticulous, and it's not necess- not completely necessary. Yeah, but I suppose he's erring on the side of caution as well. I think it goes back to what we covered off first about before you leave, what you need to do, and mm. it's having that intention, which I guess for some people can be hard because it's oh well, I've got a contract for twelve months, I might stay there for 10 years or might come home. Like, I think that's probably the hardest part for especially young people when they just don't know what that looks like. So then for them to set up, like cut it, cut ties, as you said, make that intention to move and set everything up over there, that's the hard part. Yeah, no, you're right. And um, I suppose in those circumstances, which is honestly probably 85% of the time, clients will forget about their tax responsibilities back mm. here in Australia. You know, they know they were going to go for 12 months, but it turns out I've just lent another two, three-year contract. I might not come back. Yeah. And then that's when they'll sort of get all their tax affairs sorted and go, listen, I'm still a non-resident. I'm a non-resident. Let's crystallize that period. So that's probably why people come to the point where it's 18 months. But yeah. a lot of the times also because they've received a letter saying, hey, you, you know, you haven't lodged your tax return. What's going on? I suppose... The main bodies to, I suppose, let know that you're heading overseas, one is the ATO, just updating them with your overseas address. Medicare, obviously letting them know, um, you know, you're going to be overseas. You know, you can you can put Medicare on hold and, and obviously let them know that you're a non-resident, but you can actually still come back here and use the facilities and use the government, you know, funded uh, medical facilities for at least five years. So that's really good. Even though you're not paying that Medicare levy each year, Letting your banks know that you're a non-resident as well. Yeah. They need to make sure they're taking out that 10% non-resident withholding tax on any interest you're earning. So just letting everyone know, you know you're away. Um, that way, it looks like you've done everything possible to prove that you're a non-resident. So rather well. than just posting a photo on, on um, Instagram yeah. saying that you're traveling, living overseas now, make, right. make sure you get your, your shit sorted. That's right. Exactly right. I mean, it's all well and good. You're having a great holiday and a gap yeah. year. But um, yeah, I mean, you never know that. That photo might be called into question by the yeah, ATO. Yeah, I guess that, that probably happens a lot, doesn't it? Hey, uh, listen, checking social media, it's one of our AML checks. Yeah. So, you know, any anything we can do to prove that person's overseas and a non-resident. Um, but, yeah, I mean, anything on social media, it's open to the public and obviously yeah. the ATO can use that against you as well. Very, very interesting. Mm. There's been a lot of acronyms get thrown around so far, so I might put in the description below, put kind of the, the meanings to to a few different things there, the IRS and CureOps and other great acronyms that come out in the financial world that complicate people even more, unfortunately. Absolutely. Um, but moving away from the technical financial speak for, for just a minute, might talk a bit more about you and what your experience is traveling the world. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I suppose um, 
I've travelled a little bit. I mean, early when I was young, we did a lot of uh, surf trips to um, Bali a lot and then uh, been to Samoa a few times. Fiji, we love. Um, there's a surf camp we go a fair bit just because it's it's isolated. You know, you're surfing the cold coast and it's just beautiful. Um, in terms of UK and Europe, um, I suppose I've done London a few times. So uh, London ex- is exciting, but I've done it so many times that it's, I'm kind of over it now. Yeah. I suppose in terms of um, the Europe, I really like Prague. Prague's okay. probably one of my favourite places. For any um, particular reasons? I haven't been. No, oh, we went there in the summer and it was just one of the most beautiful places I've been. Just yeah. overlooking the city, especially the old castles, the old town as well. Barcelona is really cool. I uh, enjoyed Barcelona. Um, Amsterdam was really interesting. Um, like just the history over there, especially Anne Frank House and everything like that. Like just shocking what uh, I suppose. Uh, they were able, able to hide in the Anne Frank house. Um, and I suppose more recently this year, went skiing in the French Alps um, at a place called Les Two Alps. And oh, just so picturesque at the actual, at the peak. Um, and we were there for a week. And it was just like, uh, if you've ever seen that movie, um, Hot Tub Time Machine. Yep. Listen, I'll be honest, it's like in that sort of <laughs> that sort of town, that sort of yeah. vibe. Things were a bit um, backwards, but it was really enjoyable. And you, you don't have any run-ins with anyone. Everyone's just there for a good time. There's usually like, you know, afternoon drinks where everyone just mingles and there's just some old school, uh, you know, beats playing, yeah. whether you're at half station or full station. And then it's sort of like uh, every, every night there's a bit of a party and it's just, it was so fun though. And then... Um, Obviously, besides besides those few places, and just trying to think where else. I mean, I haven't done too much travel actually. I need to get over to the US. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Any any favourite besides Prague and the French Alps? Any other favourite travel destinations or Swiss Alps? Sorry. Oh, well, French Alps were. I mean, it topped it so far. To be yeah. honest, I mean, I love tropical zones. I love Fiji. Fiji, I love just because the people are so friendly and beautiful. Like they're just so kind. Um, I mean, I want to get over to the US yep. and uh, see what it's all about, especially with Trump in office. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, nah, I've got too much travel to tick off. I think at the moment, in terms of Europe, Prague's one of my favourite places. I'd love to get back over to France and, and, and go to Paris and, and tick off all those lovely places. I want to go back to Spain and travel sort of more in the mountain zones yep. just because they're meant to be very beautiful. And I wouldn't mind, I suppose, I've also been to Croatia I wouldn't mind going there, but I suppose doing it in a bit more low-key fashion because we did it when I was really young and sure. you know what it's like when you go over there when you're young. So love to get back over there because it's really beautiful as well, especially the lavender. It's just everywhere, just okay. coated, I suppose, all the, all the mountainsides. So, yeah. So obviously working in the job that you're in at the moment, you get to see people from all over the world. Where's the most random country that you've you've spoke to someone that lives in oh i can uh, i know it so quickly it's moldova oh of course probably probably, (laughs) i know honestly probably one of my favorite clients when we got the inquiry uh i had to straight away google the country yep um did you like just stab in the dark did you have any idea no idea like moldova didn't didn't know the word yeah right so you can imagine my sounds like a cake i know i know it does pavlova moldova a rendition of uh, Pavlova. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, essentially, I did not know the country at all. It came, the initial inquiry came by way of a, a Macquarie advisor, so it was a referral. And then got on, on the phone with uh, Simon and had a good chat. And um, yeah, I mean, they're clients now, but it's, uh, 
call it Eastern Europe. Um, and uh, yeah, a bit of a niche there. Do a bit of a online piano academy. So of course, yeah, I know. <laughs> of course, so Maldonese, great, <laughs> exactly. great pianist, <laughs> exactly. But um, uh, just a niche in itself, and yeah. uh, probably I dare say they might be the only Australians over there. To be <laughs> yeah. honest, can't even find a, a Facebook page or a, a, to find on Aussie expats over there. Yeah, um, but that would probably be my most niche country. I mean, common countries are obviously um, China, Japan, Hong Kong. UAE. Has there been any US? surprises like where, that, where there's a lot of like a big concentration of Australians that you wouldn't expect? Actually, uh, Cambodia, surprisingly. There's a big demographic in Thailand and a lot of older retirees in Thailand, probably the, co- the cost coaches, of living. Cost of living. Yeah. Bali, we all know, obviously, a lot of retirees over there. That's that's a common one. Um, but yeah, probably Cambodia and Thailand. What's the, the industry in Cambodia? That Cambodia, um, our clients, they're boat builders actually, and then also school teachers. Okay. So, um, especially also up in Shanghai, uh, the ages, a lot of school teachers. Yeah. Just because the international schools do pay well for Australian teachers. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was a big surprise, I suppose, coming into this niche. I wasn't aware that there were so many Aussies overseas teaching in those mm. international schools because I didn't realise how, how big these international schools are. Yeah. But yeah, they are very big over there. Excellent. Just finally, obviously everything we've covered off, as I said at the start, your expertise is helping expat Australians with financial advice. So what obviously what we do, providing advice to people that live in Australia, you're providing to people that live in overseas or, or returning to Australia. So where can people go to find out more about you and, and your services if they need? You can first of all go onto our uh, website, atlaswealth.com.au or if you're on social media, um, if you just Google Atlas Wealth Management, um, you'll find our page. Just give us a like. I mean, we do put out a fair bit of content each week, uh, educational content, things you need to be aware of. I mean, as an example, recently we put one out about uh, expats in Denmark. You know, they need to be careful holding managed funds because they've got to crystallise the capital gain each year. Yeah. Which is just ridiculous. Um, so, I mean, we're on the social media. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Uh, website, um, you know, if you ever want to just have a chat, find out a bit more about us, just submit an inquiry. More than likely, I'll be the one that will give you a call straight away. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I highly recommend anyone that's even thinking about moving overseas or, or running a business overseas, just find out as much information as you can. Like everything we've talked about now is super valuable, valuable. Um, but yeah, the more informed you can be, the better. So you don't shoot yourself in the foot. Yeah, that's right. And I'll, I'll be honest, I love having my initial consults because you meet people from all walks of life and every time I have a consult, I'm surprised just about where they're going, what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's exciting. It's just so exciting. And just it's just things you just, you just can't even make up. It's just, it's great. It's honestly great. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thanks for being on the Young Money Podcast, mate. No worries. Thanks for talking. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Young Money Podcast, make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest episodes. And feel free to leave a like, comment, and share it with a friend.